Hello and welcome to episode three in this series of podcasts where we interview Hugh Grundy of the Zombies. I'd like to welcome Hugh again. Hello there, Simon. Nice to be here yeah, again. Very lovely nice. day here in, in Menorca, yes, Spain. Um, about 18 degrees and sunny. Can't Very argue pleasant. with that. No, you can't. So where were we at? Where did we end up at? We've we've just talked about Odyssey and Oracle and the band dissolving. Yep. And then, so then we've got to a point where we talked about the uh, bogus groups, the fake That's groups. That's correct, yes. And it then came to a point that, um, and I think after around about that sort of time yeah uh, i'd applied to join uh, or, or uh, got to try and get a job at cbs records okay and indeed i did in in england cbs records and i started off as what they call a plugger and that meant going round to the radio station bbc mostly and okay. uh, trying to get the producers to play your records a plugger is that i've not that's, heard yeah, that that's, term that before. was the name that was the name yeah it was it's where you start really okay it's almost so a and r stuff um, not quite. The A and R department was was a different department. A and R obviously standing for artists and repertoire. Yeah. And I I did aspire to that because I thought well it was all right being a plugger. Yeah. It meant taking the BBC producers to lunch now and again, and you know that was quite fun. Okay, so this is artists that have already been maybe chosen by CBS. Yeah, artists that had already been <coughs> signed got records out. Okay. What you were doing was you were taking their records around to the BBC yep. to try and get them to plugging play, the record, plugging quite the literally. record, okay. quite literally. Yeah. And how? What would the what would the process be to get a radio station? Would somebody have to listen to it a few times, decide whether it was a hit or? Yeah, I think yes. Even at the BBC, that was there was radio produce all the all the radio shows had radio producers. Okay. So you, may, you must have long. met quite a few big radio disc jockeys. Um, not so much the disc jockeys, but certainly the, their, their producers. producers. Yeah, I never, okay. never got to see the disc jockeys very much. So would this have been like, you know, Capital Radio? and Yeah, it would have meant going to Capital, yes, indeed, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, can you remember any of them, them artists or not really? Not really. Well, um, no, I can't. <laughs> but the records that I okay. was plugging, no, I've got to be honest, no. But so eventually you got to a point where what you yes, did become I, I mean, I could, I could see that the A&R part of it was... Probably a little bit more fun. It meant dealing with artists. Okay. It meant dealing with their repertoire, obviously, in the name. And now and again, you'd get to go in the studio and uh, help out, watch watch them perform. Okay. Help them out and maybe deputise for the producer. And would you would you go out looking for bands? Yes. Okay. The job, at, when I finally did get into the A&R department, got a job in the A&R yep. department, the main part of the work, my work, was to listen to tapes that various artists would send in Demos, I'm assuming, Demos, yeah. yep, on tape, and uh, and then also records from America that were passed over from CBS America uh, with a view to maybe thinking that they could be hits over okay. here. Yeah. Um, so I had uh, I had a little, quite a wee bit of success with those American artists. Okay. Uh, I, Anyone I, in particular? Yep, I picked I picked uh, the Birds. Do you remember the Birds? B Y R D S. There was an English okay. group called the Birds as well, but that. Yep. So the American Birds, this was after David Crosby had left the Birds, the late okay. David Crosby, and they had a record called, uh, they, uh, this is what the record I was listening to, it was called Chestnut Mare. Okay. It was obviously about a horse. Indeed, indeed. Okay. Quite right. And it, it, it struck me, not just because it was a, it was a lovely record, yeah. and, uh, but also at the time I was, uh, my pre- previous ma- marriage, um, she was uh, into horses, and okay. indeed, we had a chestnut mare. Oh, you did? Yeah, it okay. was an Arab, and it was chestnut, and it was a mare. So, 
So I liked the idea of that, yeah. and it sort of struck a bit of a, bit of a chord, and I thought, that's what I'm going to put forward to get it released. And I did, and it went to about number eight or, or so in okay. the charts, so it was a big hit. And would there be was there a financial reward for that, or were you just on nope. a salary? No, nope, just salary. Okay. No, that was just it. That was the job. But I suppose you, you, you knew your job was a, was a bit safer if you were get choosing the right ones well exactly yeah they'd think well he's doing his job okay you know, okay yeah on here for it any, any others yeah. any other biggish ones yeah i had a hit with um another record i picked called the witch queen of new orleans which is a big song isn't it was it? a yeah, big yeah. old song that and it was by a group called redbone and i thought that sounded absolutely terrific yeah and that became a hit and i was very pleased with that was that a big it wasn't a number one was uh, it i can't remember whether it went went it, up the charts it went didn't it? yeah very high so yeah yeah and there was another you said recently. I know it was a, um, was it Chicory Tip? That was an English band. We used to have English producers come in and they'd be making records um, by themselves and bringing yep. them into record companies for, uh, to, you know, for the record companies to put them out. Yeah. And once again, that was my job to lit. And I got to know quite a few of the guys who were doing that independent type of producing. Okay. And a guy came in with um, uh, this record and I played it and I thought, wow. That sounds really, really different. And it was one of the first times that the synthesizer had been used yeah. on a record. And you listened to it. and it, 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 Yeah, it I know really the part. Just like a little sort of um, uh, motif at the a beginning, isn't it? That's right. So this is Sign of Your Father? Son of Your Father. Son of Your Father. Son of Your Father. Son of Your Father. Well, that was a huge hit. And that became a huge hit, yeah. Did you know within 10 or 15 seconds if a song was a hit? Absolutely. I mean, I'd put the tape on and listen to the first 10, 20 seconds or so, and you, you'd know. I even had people come on the telephone and my secretary would say, I've got somebody on telephone who thinks he's got a hit song. Right. And I'd go, oh, OK, so I'd, list, I'd have to listen to him on the phone. Really? Wailing away on the phone. And you go, yeah, go, or no. Well, thanks ever so much, but uh, if you'd like to send a tape in, please. Yeah. <laughs> but one of the tapes I played, I remember thinking to myself, uh, wait a minute, this is something special here. And I remember playing the whole tape, which I'd never really done before. Would that have been just a single or, or a, an album's worth of material? It was a few tracks. Okay. It was certainly a few tracks. I don't and they were an unsigned band? Album. An unsigned band. Okay. And uh, so I got in touch with them and they said they were playing at the uh, Royal Hospital in South London. Okay. On this particular date. And I said, well, I'm going to come down and see you. Which I did. Yeah. And I thought they were absolutely incredible. Never okay. seen anything like quite as good as that. So I went back to the company the next few days and said, I've seen this band, I've got this tape, listen to this tape, and uh, I think they're going to be huge. We need to sign them now. Right. And they they must have obviously got in touch with management on one thing or another, but at that, by that time, <clears throat> other companies were interested. Okay. And the price was going up and up. What, like an advance to, yeah, to, so to advance get them, to sign, etc. Okay, yeah. yeah. And, and they said that... Uh, well, we think it's too much money. We can't quite see what you're seeing, but uh, it's it's too much money. So they passed. So they passed. Right. And I said, "Well, I think you're wrong." Who was that? And uh, they said, "I said, watch, watch. Within about a year or so, you will see that they will be huge." And that band was Queen. <laughs> My God, <laughs> that's unbelievable. So it was, a, it was a pleasure to remember that I. Had so did you have them in? I had them in my office. Yeah, but all of them sat in my office. That's incredible. Freddie and Brian and John Deacon yeah. and, of course, Roger Taylor. A great drummer. One of the great, very, great. very best, actually. I've always a, great, a great band, there's no doubt about it. Probably no the, the finest front man ever. 
Absolutely. He's An certainly entertainer. No he was one of the best yeah. entertainers, was he and not? And f- a f- phenomenal songwriter. Absolutely. I mean, really, I know, um, I'm, I'm sure it was Jeff Beck, the late Jeff Beck, mm-hmm. very sad. Mm-hmm. Um, he said, Brian May is probably the greatest guitarist within a band. Mm. You know, there. I know there are you've Eric Clapton and Cream, and but for a for a, a perfect musician to play the right parts in the right songs um, was uh, Brian May. It's like everything. It's like every band that ever gets together, and if you're lucky and that band becomes successful, yeah. it's it's a lot to do with the uh, empathy between each individual player. Totally. And, and how yeah. the luck, it, it really is luck, yeah. of how people get on with each other yeah. when they first meet. And it happens so often that um, somebody in the band maybe will get bigger ideas. Of they course. will leave and, tr- and get another guys together, and it's never a success. No, I know, um, I know Eric Clapton said that when Cream dissolved, he thought, mm. well, I'll get that again. Mm. You know, they're mm. just a drummer and a, and a guitar yeah, and, a bass, and player. a bass player. And he said, no, I never did. No. He said, I played with some great players, but naivety, yeah. I had no idea that each each scenario is unique, isn't it? Yeah, it's the sum of the, it was the sum of the parts, and the zombies were exactly the same. Yeah, Everybody totally. had just the right part to play yeah. and was of the right amount of talent with, with, with his instrument. Yeah. Uh, and it, that's why it made it so good. Yeah. And indeed, still good even today when we... And that'll be, of course, subject for a, a future podcast. Yeah. Um, when the zombies basically came back, as it were, to life. Yeah. <laughs> How appropriate is that? Yeah. Um, and, <laughs> and then we started touring the States again yeah. to huge acclaim and yeah. to the point where Odyssey and Oracle has finally achieved the well, acclaim well, it deserves. Uh, yeah. And that, that, that will definitely be a podcast because I, I was there, which with the America 2015 was it the 50th anniversary it was, yes, wasn't it? Yes, Was exactly. it incredible? But we'll save that. Save that. Not too much more about that. So so when you... Did you used to hear Queen on the radio and think, yeah. damn it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I thought, there, listen to that. You've missed yeah. out. And I took great pains to tell them all, all the time. They are. Look, they've got a huge hit now, or whatever it might have been. Okay, you know, um, this is going a little bit back. Mm-hmm. Or was it around this time that you said... There were certain pieces of music that you heard around this period that just absolutely blew you away. Mm. And I know you said you heard Bridge Over Troubled Water. Bridge Over Troubled Water was a, a absolute seminal album. I mean, it, it it sounded so completely different to anything that I'd ever heard before. Wait, what year was that? Was that seventies or sixties? Was it been no, 70s? It was 70s. Okay. We're moving into the seventies, early seventies. I'd put that, but quite. Which actual year, I don't know. So someone brought that in and said, have a listen to this, or would it have been... Oh, yeah. When it arrived from America, and uh, obviously somebody played it, and then the whole whole company went, my goodness, this is just unbelievable. And, of course, it became the big hit that we know. Yeah, great record. Great songwriting. Sublime songwriting. Oh, the best. Okay, so so how how many years was the A&R thing? Oh, I would have said uh, three or four. Okay. Three or four. And then um, Clive Davis uh, took a, a, a bigger part in the running of the day-to-day company of yep. England as well. And he at that time decided that uh, there needed to be a few staff uh, redundancies, shall we say. Yeah. And sadly, I was on, on that list. Oh, okay. And uh, away I went. So what was your next venture after that? The next venture, well, 
then I did just various jobs, okay. nothing special, just earned a living yeah. um, and then played with various local bands and it was probably about that time that I met Tracy okay. and she was playing in a, well, she wasn't playing in a band but I was playing with a friend and uh, doing the little local uh, clubs and pubs Yeah. and we needed a, a keyboard player Okay. and somebody said uh, that they knew of this girl who played the keyboards Yeah. so we'll try her out and yeah. when she arrived and she joined us on, a, on our first gig and I said to John a bit later after the gig, I said, uh, we move on, we move on because um, she, had, she ain't cut any ice at all. <laughs> and she'll and tell you that to this day. And she's now your dear, have been your dear and wife. has um, been my dear wife for years. Now, getting on 40 years 40 now. years, wow. Very close to 40. We'll Fabulous. call it 40 years. Yeah, absolutely. And so uh, when did the pub game come in? Because you did have a pub for a while, didn't you? Uh, yes. Yeah. Would that have been around this sort of time? That or? would have been, no, that would have been uh, about 95. Oh, right. So there was, a, there was a quite a period. We, we, caught, we, we came out of the pub business at 2000. Yeah. But so 95, um, obviously we were together. Um, we worked for various companies, but we both of us worked for a, a clothing company right. at one point. <clears throat> um, Didn't you do we, something with uh, racehorses as well? Well, that was a little... A little tryout to do something. Yeah. I had a horse box, and I used to take horses here and there. Okay, but really, that wasn't uh, what wasn't my thing at all. And when so so before you became a publican, mm. you did luxury limos and stuff like that, didn't you say? And you used to pick up quite big biggish celebrities. Yes, and, yeah, yeah. That was you, sometime in and in, into uh, our, our marriage, should we say? Yeah, that would have been um, when I was. And I know it's 41 because my call sign was Echo 41. Right. So we're talking 37 years ago. Yes. Uh, and I, we did. I did. I became um, a chauffeur. Yeah. And I worked for a company called Grosvenor Cars. And their job was uh, various TV personalities, celebrities, right. um, studio executives, etc. Et so still, still sort of within the, the for performing arts... Well, world to some degree touched on it to a degree yeah. yeah exactly and wasn't that when you didn't you say you picked up a couple of executives one night and they were going to see prince in concert yeah, absolutely uh the job came in and it said uh, go to a hotel in grosvenor square two americans are going out to wembley right and wait and return and i thought oh that's nice that'll see me for the rest of the day of course, they got in the car, they were Americans, and they were talking away in the back, and I realised that they were um, obviously uh, managers or impresarios, whatever you like. Okay. And I, I interrupted them and said, excuse me, don't mind me saying, but what's happening at Wembley? And they said, well, it's Prince playing. It's Prince, okay. our artist. And I went... <laughs> so he was a big star at this oh, stage? Huge star, huge okay. star. And I said, um, so I'm waiting for you to bring it back, aren't I? And he said, yes. So we'll park at the back of the uh, back of Wembley. I said, um, would there be any chance, would you mind if I sidle down one of the corridors and, and watch them play? No, of course not. That'd be absolutely fine. And I did. So and we, it was fantastic. So you were almost stage left or right. Stage left you? or right. And I remember fantastic. being right in front of one of the speakers and it was so loud. I bet, yeah. <laughs> but, you know. One artist I never see. I saw, I saw Michael Jackson at Wembley. Mm. Um, and I'm 30 years later, 40 years later, I've discovered Jason was at the same concert. Okay. Which was a strange thing to know that 40 years later we'd both be able to... Re- recall a, a concert. A concert you both were at. It was but, interesting um, to note that 
the drummer for Prince on that particular occasion was a, a young lady called Sheila E. Oh, well. Yeah. And, uh, well, of course, I, I think I was watching her more than Prince. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely fantastic. Yeah. And actually, there's footage of her doing Time of the Season with... Uh, Is that so? Yeah, with Ringo's all-star band. Well, I'll be. Yeah, I'll have to... I'll that find could that have footage. been a time when Rod was playing with them. I think he was. Rod played yeah. with uh, Ringo's yeah. all-star. Steve Lukather as well, on guitar, there I think. You are. Yeah. Another fabulous... Uh, another another favourite of absolute ours. Absolute favourite of ours. Incredible yeah. musician. Um, and a funny man. Absolutely. He's, uh, he, is, he does the greatest impression I watched the other day of... Um, Sammy Davis Jr. It's incredible. He does the best Sammy <laughs> Davis Jr. impression. He's a real fan of his. He's actually got a guitar with pictures of Sammy Davis Jr. all Amazing. over it. Yeah. Amazing. Okay. I'll tell you so, what we need to do, um, if I may say. There's a, an area yeah. that we have passed over a little wee bit. Yeah. Was because of the fake Zombies. groups going around yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, the States, uh, we all decided that one of the better ways of overcoming that because we couldn't take him to court because we didn't we didn't have a band and a band name particularly right we thought what we'll do is we'll make a record yeah and we'll put that out and that'll put paid to uh, to the fake to versions to the fake versions because they, they won't be able to do that and that was the one you said where rod said no I'm busy that's right you rod know. said um, no if you want to go ahead and do that please do that and we got in touch with uh, as it happens queen's management right jim jim day jim uh forgotten his name for a sec Another day, yeah. another, another podcast. We'll, 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 yeah, we'll put that in on the next one. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, we got in touch with him and he said he'd, he'd help us out to make this album. Right. Chris, Chris had some songs and he had a dear friend at the time called Sebastian Santa Maria, who indeed played on the album with us. Okay, keyboards. Keyboards. Okay. Fabulous keyboard player. Hammond organ like you've never heard. Wow. And, um, and he wrote songs as well. Great, great songwriter. Okay. So there was Colin with some songs that he'd written, Chris with some songs he'd written, Chris's cousin, a guy called Andy Nye, had written a song yeah. called Heaven's Gate, and that's on this particular album called New World. And it's, it's I think a great it's, record. It's a great, great record, and I love doing it. We recorded it in Queen Studios in Montreux in Switzerland. Yeah. And also in Lausanne and in studios in London as well. Okay, so did you have a deal at that stage, or you just went and recorded it first? I think we went and recorded it first, and then because Jim thing he was um, uh, was going to own it, I think. Oh no, he didn't own it. We owned it, but he was going to be able going to be able to find a deal oh, for okay. us to get it out, and it did come out. That's nineteen ninety, wasn't it? That album, or was it earlier than that? Um, I'm sure it was nineteen ninety. That's another another one. Another for next one week. to check. We'll look into that. I'm sure it's a that sort of period, and mm. that was wasn't that when um, uh, Lula Lula was on that album. Yes, which is a track we cover now. We do. We love playing that. Yeah, it's a great record. Great songwriting again. Mm. That was Chris, Chris White's song at, at his peak. Absolutely. With, uh, and I mean, by then Chris was had done a lot of production, hadn't he? He had, and he's now got his Chris White project stuff that's now yes. being released. It's just yeah, absolutely the, the amount of material of oh, it, it's, it's all it's all been um, found. Like him, but his two sons have obviously matured into the music business themselves. Yeah, and they've helped him out with finding all this stuff that has been on in uh, tapes, in boxes, lost as was thought lost. So it's tape in attics and stuff like that, and it's all been um, uh, it, yeah, it's all been done. And and Chris has had quite a few. Records out. So, with all this, so stuff. that was Montserrat. You uh, recorded that. What? 
New World. New World. No, no, no. Where was it? Where was the place? Montreux. Montreux, Switzerland. Montreux. Montreux. Okay. Yeah. And who it's owned on Lake that studio? Geneva. Queen. So it was Queen was Studio. Queen recorded their stuff there. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. I have read. I'm sure I've read that they did record stuff there. Was yeah. it on a lake? Yeah, Lake Geneva. Right. Overlooking Lake Geneva. And I recorded drums for one track in the actual auditorium where they do the Montreux Jazz Festival. And wow. we set up the drums in the actual auditorium so that we got a natural a natural echo because there was nobody else in it. And I was looking through a huge window overlooking Lake Geneva while I was playing. That's absolutely wonderful so, moment. So uh, you must have thought, I'm back again. Yeah, behind absolutely. Because I know you'd said by this stage you'd actually... Hadn't you decided to start, not relearn the drums, but you wanted to put, fill in all the holes of bits that you maybe skipped? And That's true. That would have been, take, take you back a wee bit. Um, yeah. uh, you heard me speak of my first wife yeah. and her like of horses and one thing or another. Um, truly, it wasn't, it wasn't my thing particularly. Right. Um, and sadly, that marriage came to an end to beautiful children who I love dearly now. Yeah. Um, and both of them came to see me at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, but that's for another that's podcast. That's another podcast, yes. And uh, uh, So between, shall we say, at the point where I was quite low, yeah. um, didn't think that there could be any other women in my life. And, uh, and I, but then I met Tracy. Yeah. And, you know, the burgeoning romance started and she would take me to live music okay. down in the East End of London in... Not whopping somewhere anyway. Uh, that, that's another name to check. But you never stopped playing the drums, and you carried no, on. No, I was always always playing. And then, of course, Tracy came along, and we were. Then we started playing in the band, uh, the Kingfishers. That was yeah, okay. And uh, but she introduced me to a drummer, a guy called Mick Grigg, in the Royal Standard, a pub in the uh, East End of London. There, and I thought he was terrific. Okay. And he he was playing what we call, what I now know is called open hand. Okay. And if you look at a guy called Simon Phillips, and I yeah. think Simon thinks he might be the first one to do that. Well, he wasn't. Um, certainly Mick Grigg was doing this, and it seemed to me like the best way of doing it. You could get a much higher hit on the snare drum. So this is where, instead of crossing your hand, your hi-hat hand over the top of your snare hand. Exactly. You're using the nearest hand to the, the high hand. hand to the high and the nearest hand to the, to okay. the exactly. And um, I found that really, really interesting. And of but, course, but was, relearning the drums almost because yeah, you're swapping absolutely. hands, aren't you? You but really he, are. He also took, I went to him for lessons because okay. it turned out that he was a drum teacher, and I used to go to him for lessons. And Did you tell him that you used to be? Yes. Oh, right. So he knew. Yeah, he, he, he knew, knew I the, was. He said, "Why are you coming to me?" He said, "You're <laughs> a drummer. You played in the zombies." I went. Yeah, I might have played the drums in The Zombies, but I didn't really know what I was doing right? and how I was doing it. So I want you to tell me how it is that I've been doing it. Right. And so we started at the pretty much at the very beginning. Okay. And he would tell me and, and, and teach me all the various rudiments, which have become such a more important part of my life Of now. course, and yeah. And it makes you playing so much more, um, you know, fun. So, I mean, I may go forward here by saying this. When did you decide, because you do have a unique bass drum pedal situation where you like to sit I do. straight on on a drum kit. So you've adapted a pedal. But when did that come in? Is that a later thing? That's a later thing. Oh, quite, it is? Quite okay. a lot later. So maybe we'll save that then. Yeah, save, All the, right. save the clever pedal because just, I'd, love, I'd love lots of other people to know about it. Yeah, it's incredible. It, it makes so much sense. You need to patent it. 
It's a genius it, thing. It's all I've done about patent, but it, it has already been done because has it? I did, oh, in fact, okay. find the pedal that I shall talk about on uh, on a website from a drum shop in America. Okay. And I sent for it and bought it, and I actually still have that to this oh, day. Right. Okay. Going back to New World, I've just got it up on on Tinternet. Uh-huh. Uh, it was uh, recorded in 1990. Right. So I was right. Yep, but it wasn't you were. released. Until uh, April 1991. Right, you up. That makes sense. Okay, but so, and uh, Paul Atkinson wasn't playing on this then? No, he didn't play on okay. that. Okay. We, um, we had people like John Verity and the guitarist, whose name escapes me for a sec, but he played with uh, Tina Turner when she was on Okay, tour. I probably could find that information. Yeah, it says here Dave, could. David Richards and Chris White produced it. David Richards was the engineer at Montra Studios, and he engineered all, a lot of Queen stuff that was done there. <coughs> and um, sadly, he's not with us oh, anymore. Oh, see, no, it does say here, so so um, Colin Blundstone, Chris White, Hugh Grundy, mm-hmm. obviously, mm-hmm. Sebastian Santamaria on Indeed. keyboards. It says special guests, Paul Atkinson, guitar on New World, in brackets, right. My America. Yes. And Rod Argent, keyboards on Time of the Season. Yes, the, so you, re-recording. You, you yeah. re-recorded the version of that. We did, we and did. it says Tim Rennick. Renwick? Tim Rennick, Rennick. exactly. Now, Tim Rennick's a very famous name. Okay. If you Google him, you'll see it. And there's another, well, there's another three guitar players. Yeah. Uh, John John Woolof. John Woolof, yes. Uh, Laurie Wisefield. Okay. And Duncan Brown. Duncan Brown, yeah. All and, names that Chris knew. Claude Nobbs on harmonica. Claude now, Nobbs I know who he yeah. is. Yeah, he played he, harmonica. He, he is the guy that does the Montreux Jazz Festival, Indeed, he? he does. And the famous uh, concert where Stevie Ray Vaughan opened Montreux Jazz Festival in 1982, I think right. it was. okay. Claude Nobbs uh, introduces him and they get booed for the first 20 minutes of the set because they're playing blues music playing, at a jazz yeah, festival. At a jazz festival. It's a phenomenal concert to see because mm. Stevie Ray Vaughan doesn't care. No. And he just, they play, they they raise, they they win the audience round. Right. With just his sheer, sheer gunslinger, one t- one, wonderful guitar player. playing. Wonderful playing. Fabulous bands, yeah. All right, well, look, I think that would probably be a good point to stop episode Absolutely. three. And we'll we'll come back with the next episode talking about the drum pedal. We do. I like to talk about that. We'll talk about um, probably the pub landlord period of your life. Yes, indeed. With all the bands. With the bands we used to have. uh, uh, Chaz from Chaz and Dave used to come in. Yeah, I'll tell you about the the pub where we had to take the door off. Yeah, because the pub would be so full, yeah. Absolutely. And we'll probably just touch maybe on the, uh, the reunion stuff. I would have thought by then. We'll be getting close to it. We'll be, we? we'll be getting close. Um, and moving to Menorca as well. I think, yes, moving to Menorca. It just yeah. happened before I moved to Menorca. Right. So it's been 10 odd years of, uh, of a revival. Yeah. All right. And we'll, we'll uh, see you on the next episode. Have, have fun in the USA because you're you go off now. What day are you going? I'm going to uh, on Thursday this week. Yes. Um, we're going to the. Uh, SXSW called the South by Southwest Show. Right. Uh, it's a big festival in Austin, Texas. And uh, once again, for another podcast, we'll talk about the documentary that we've made. Yeah, big one coming up. A big one coming up. And at this particular festival, 
it, it, it will be shown and it will be uh, shown to the, all the big top executives, people like Netflix and so on, Okay. Uh, for them to purchase. And this is a, a big, this is a, Mr. Tom Hanks is involved Mr. in this. Mr. Tom Hanks is uh, And this is company. all the band, isn't it? This is the the original members. Absolutely. And, um, yeah, and Steve Rodford. And Steve and Jim. Um, and Soren. Jim, of course, and Soren. And, uh, yep, yeah, and Tom Toomey. Yep. And, of course... Uh, also in the documentary, we do touch on the band that I play with here in Menorca. Yes. Called the, the Geckos. Which is another podcast, which All we'll get to. Itself. Okay, Hugh, fantastic. Have a good trip to America. Thank you. And we'll see you when you're back. A week's time. We're, All right. We've gone for about a week. All right, well, we'll, we'll get recording when it's when, when you jet lags, when you've got over that. When I've got over the jet lag. All right, thanks a lot. Um, I, I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Thanks to Hugh. Thanks for your time and your stories. Thank you once again, Simon. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Speak. Looking forward to next. Speak soon. Bye now. Cheers.